The Sustainable Care Team is exploring how care arrangements, currently in crisis in parts of the UK, can be made sustainable and deliver well-being outcomes. In this Sustainable Care and COVID-19 podcast series, our researchers and special guests discuss how the pandemic has impacted the different parts of the care sector we are studying. Sustainable Care Programme, a number of our research studies explored the delivery of care in the community, including home care, also known as domiciliary care. The fieldwork phase of our projects coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic, which allowed us to examine the challenges facing the home care sector during this difficult time. As part of the Sustainable Care Programme, we also examine the role of technology in care systems. And this podcast focuses on the intersection between these three areas. Emerging models of home care delivery in the UK, the various ways home care providers deployed technologies during the COVID-19 pandemic, and the challenges they faced. I'm Diane Burns, I'm a senior lecturer at Sheffield University Management School at the University of Sheffield and co-investigator on the Sustainable Care Programme. I led the research project Delivering Care at Home, Emerging Models and Their Implications for Sustainability and Wellbeing. I would like to welcome you to this podcast and introduce Kate Hamblin, who led the project Achieving Sustainability in Care Systems, the Potential of Technology. Kate, who will facilitate this discussion, is joined by two guests. My colleague, Catherine Goodlad, a research associate on the Delivering Care at Home study, and Tommy Henderson-Ray. Tommy is the Digital Transformation Lead at the National Care Forum, who is part of the Digital Social Care Project. Tommy is also a registered social worker. We start the discussion with Catherine as she outlines the models of home care provision we researched and explores the use of technology by these providers both pre and during the pandemic. Catherine, over to you. First of all, I'm going to just briefly outline the care provider companies that we worked with as part of this study. So we will talking to four innovative care providers and they were innovative by their own uh, claim in that they were trying to mark themselves out as something different within the care market. We selected them because they were all delivering at least good care by CQC standards. One of them was actually rated outstanding, um, although one of them wasn't regulated because it was a introductory model, but they did have their own internal monitoring, which they measured against CQC standards and they did have a strong desire to be regulated. The first case study was a company that was part of a franchise that was uh, focused on providing very high quality care for private clients. Case study two provided the majority of their care services through publicly funded contracts. Um, and that model was very time and task orientated, but they had a strong desire to move into more technological uh, forms of care delivery. 
post-study three was an introductory platform as i've said so that was really aimed at cutting out the middleman to be able to link up care workers so self-employed care workers with people who were looking for care and the idea was to be able to provide care workers with better wages so that they would uh, be better paid case study four was another company that provided high quality personalized care to private clients and they worked in a, a model that that used uh, teams of care workers to deliver care in a particular area for a group of clients um, and they relied very much on technology and did not have a physical office so everything was done online digitally so if I just talk first of all about the pre-pandemic uh, technology that we found within these case st studies and I'm going to talk first of all about the the office technology or the, the business model technology they all use some form of back office function for things like scheduling uh, most of those were off-the-shelf tap scheduling software that they bought and I think all of those were all linked to payroll as well so it was it was about streamlining some of those back office functions to provide a seamless delivery at the front but having said that they all use those technologies with a different emphasis so for example case studies three and four so the introductory model and the the one that was a, a purely digital that didn't have an office it was integral to their daily operation case study three the introductory model their main focus by doing that was about reducing and containing the costs to be able to pass on you know any benefits to increase wages to care workers the other thing to point out there as well that as an agency they're not directly responsible for the care delivery that was responsibility of the care workers who were self-employed so they were able to rein in some of those back office savings so things like you know the cost of regulation for instance whereas uh, for case study four because they didn't have an office everything was done digitally and the purpose there was was not only to enhance that care experience for the clients that they had but it was about making the care workers jobs easier and to help support them so it wasn't just about costs and sort of efficiencies you might say it was actually to try and make it an integral part of that care delivery in that model now they did use some off-the-shelf products for scheduling but they also found that it was quite clunky and that it didn't really fit with the model that of care delivery that they had and they found that a lot of the scheduling systems are very much based on a time and task model where you're going to go in for so many minutes you know 15 minutes 30 minutes or whatever uh, and then you move on to the next client and they didn't work in that way at all so they were also looking at the possibilities of either adapting an existing software or even commissioning something that was bespoke that would actually fit with their care model Case study one and case study two, again, both used off the shelf uh, scheduling software, but it was a little bit more of a, a back office function and it wasn't something that was really upfront that the care workers knew an awful lot about. It was just, well, this is how we get our rotors and, and you know, who I'm going to see on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc. Having said that, case study one, um, which were part of a franchise, they were a little bit more restricted in that they had to, had certain rules that they had to follow which were related to the franchise about bringing other technologies in so they had to be really careful about not deviating from the standard franchise model having said that they were looking at the possibility of introducing more technology 
and they were particularly interested in things like electronic march arts to be able to record medication changes and things like that. The main focus though of that company was on maintaining the high standards of care and it was about time with people, face-to-face -face contact, supporting them. So there was much more focus on, on that within the company as opposed to developing any technologies. Case study two, though, were quite interesting in that they had a very strong desire to increase the use of technology for back office functions, such as recording care plans, electronic march arts, recording care visits. But they felt really, really hampered by the resistance to embrace technology on behalf of the commissioners, the funders, because nearly all of their care delivery was publicly funded care. And what they basically said was that the funders were were very resistant to include any sort of technology or, or anything within the care delivery. Now, at the time of our data collection, they were actually doing a, a pilot study to look at the rolling out of, of a, uh, an app that would record care plans and medication things on, on the care workers' phones. Uh, but they actually pulled that pilot study uh, during our data collection because the funders insisted on paper records for uh, and paper records in a certain format for all the care plans and the care visit records, etc. So it basically meant that the care workers were duplicating everything. So it was a, just it wasn't saving any time at all. It was actually costing them more money. So they pulled the plug on it. All the case studies that we talked to used emails to communicate with their staff. But in addition, case study two and case study four used a lot more social media channels, for instance, WhatsApp, that type of thing, instant messaging services. They used WhatsApp because it was encrypted, so they felt a little bit safer with that. But they tended to use them for what you might term soft data. So uh, things like how somebody might want their clothes folded or how they want their pillars plumped up or something like that. And they also used it a lot between the care workers to swap rotors, shift cover, things like that or for passing on information to the next co-worker that's going to uh, visit someone. So, you know, Mrs. Smith's run out of milk, can you bring some in? So it was those sorts of things that they would use use that for, but that was found to be really, really useful to uh, to get a message across really quickly. It's nobody leaving a message in the in the uh, care plan that's in, in somebody's home to say bring some milk, because the care worker's already there by the time they look at it. One of the issues that we did notice, though, with care workers is that and this went across the board, the ones where they were using these sorts of uh, WhatsApp type messaging services was that they can sometimes feel that they were never off duty. Um, so even on their days off and their non-work non days or when they were on leave, they still felt that they had a sort of expectation that they should respond to messages saying, no, I can't do that shift cover next Tuesday or, you know, whatever it might be. And the other big thing that we noticed was that all the case studies used social media for both their client marketing and also recruiting care workers. So if we just turn now to technology for clients, all the care workers that we spoke to in all the case studies had very little knowledge of care and support products that were widely available on the market and things that might support clients such as fall sensors, electronic pill reminders, that sort of small technology. And that was particularly the case for case study two. And that was despite that company promoting and selling various small, various small technologies themselves to support care. The take up was extremely small and 
when people did take it up, it was only ever the private, private clients that were um, buying those products. And that was because the funders refused to include them in care packages. So care workers didn't know about them or what possibilities there might be for supporting people. And they never came across them because they weren't involved, uh, included in the care packages. So what we saw there really was the commissioners that are heavily influencing not only the time and task model of care, but also any technology use that might be involved in that care provision. The care workers in the companies that were supporting clients on a private basis, so that's really case study one, case study four, and then case study three as an introductory model, we noticed that care workers very often use their mobile phones to help clients either source information or they'd look for music or video clips, things like that, uh, to support that care experience. And that was particularly useful, they said, for clients who had dementia, sparking memories, conversations, you know, looking up sort of photos of where they used to live or favourite television programmes that they used to watch, things like that. The care workers in case study two, although they were allowed to do that sort of thing, they just really didn't have time because they were on the time and task model. It was very, very much uh, they needed to get to the next client and just perform the next set of tasks. Case study four had nominated one of their care workers to be a technology champion. And their role really was to help source new products for, for the individual clients, but also to keep the other care workers up to date with what was available, what new products were coming to the market. Case study one told us they wanted to develop their care offer and look at introducing more technology for clients. But at the time of the data collection, they were really only just beginning to explore that and was really just sort of getting the feet of finding out what was out there and what they thought would be useful. Following our main data collection, we've revisited three of the companies during last autumn. So the pandemic was still going on, but the worst of it was sort of over with the pressures that eased slightly. One of the case studies, the introductory model, had actually ceased trading, so we couldn't go back to that one. But what we found was that uh, during the pandemic, the other three case studies had all moved to have things like team meetings online via video conferencing. So whether it was Zoom, Google Meet, Skype, that sort of thing, they'd all moved to an online thing. And they actually said there were a lot of advantages to that in that it saved people a lot of time traveling to the office. It was easier for them to fit in between their other calls that they might have. And they all said that although they missed the face-to-face -face meetings, it was a strong possibility that they would probably in future, once the pandemic's over, probably do a mix of face-to-face uh, -face and online and that would keep some of the benefits of the online uh, environment. Case study one had been thinking about introducing quite a few things on looking to explore technologies for clients and they said it hugely accelerated their use of technology. So for instance they purchased a number of iPads which they were loaning out to clients to help them stay connected with family and friends you know, so doing video calls, etc., with uh, with the care workers supporting them to contact with other family members. They were also using those for service reviews. They'd introduce more technology in the office to help with remote working, phone apps for carers to help with electronic Mars, so medication recording. And they also were now employing a technology champion who was there to help support clients if they wanted to introduce technology to support them 
but also to support the care workers in the use of these technologies and training them and, and helping them to get their heads around how to use different things. Case study four, we're also doing their recruitment via Zoom and they did induction sessions. So their induction, induction sessions were five days, but they found that people could suffer Zoom fatigue as we've come to call it. So they switched how they were organizing that. So they would do their induction days from a Wednesday through to a Tuesday, which gave a natural break in the middle of the weekend, which they found was much better than trying to do, deliver Monday to Friday, five day sessions. Case study two had moved to refresher training online via Zoom, but they said that some of their workers were a little bit tech phobic and they found it a lot easier to use more familiar social media platforms to help circulate links out to people um, to, to get them engaged in either videos or things like that. So they found social media a really useful tool for supporting and maintaining those communication links between the care workers and the office. But really uh, the other big thing for case study two that they mentioned was it was about maintaining morale in a very stressful and uncertain time when they're given a lot of new information that you have to digest very quickly. They created lots of little sort of TikTok videos and things like that, a very short, snappy, this is how you put on your PPE, this is how you dispose of it. These are our new working practices. This is what you need to do if you're car sharing, those sorts of things. So it was about disseminating information very, very quickly, but making sure that those staff felt really supported and comfortable with the changes that were, were being forced on them very quickly in quite a stressful time. Case study two also said that they'd been just about to start trialing some products for care recipients, such as electronic pill dispensers, when COVID first hit. So as was, is common with lots and lots of other care companies, not surprisingly, that was shelved as soon as the pandemic hit because it was all hands on deck to make sure that they met the service delivery of getting to all the clients, uh, especially when they've got clients and staff that were having to self-isolate and increase work pressures. So there was a bit of a, a halt there to the potential rollout of some products. And I think my overall reflections are that the technology for clients has tended to shift towards things that are quite readily available or becoming more readily available. So things like iPads, Alexa, a lot of people are starting to use Alexa, smartphones, things like that. Use of things that we might think of as care products, so kettle sensors, force sensors, are only used if health professionals have recommended them and then the family install them. It's not something that care providers are actively, I think, feel able to promote as well as, as uh, having the wherewithal and the capacity to do it. And the back office functions, scheduling is quite commonplace, but can be quite clunky if it doesn't exactly fit with your, your model, if it's not a time and task uh, delivery model. Companies we found as well were concerned about security and possible data breaches. And then there was another issue that was mentioned, which was around sharing information with health professionals if they were visiting clients or care recipients in their homes. Um, it's not easy for a district nurse, for instance, to, it's much easier for them to pick up a, a folder that's in the house to see how many times they've had a visit and when the dressing was changed, that sort of thing. So it's about sharing information with other 
professionals, it can sometimes take a while to get those things set up. So that's my thoughts. Thank you, Kate. That was interesting. And it chimes in a lot with some other work that's been done in the sustainable care programme. So in another part of it, where we're looking at the way technologies are being used across adult social care, that mainstream technology piece is really interesting because a lot of commissioned services are shifting to that. So a lot of the technology enabled care services are trying to promote the use of things like, you know, the Alexas, the, the mainstream kit that people may already have in their homes and is very user friendly, relatively cheap when you compare it to very specialist equipment. And I think what you sort of said really highlights the idea that I don't think care workers or providers are technophobic and there is a sort of perhaps sometimes a misconception that they are because you know all the way through there are people being really creative with technology all your care providers all your care workers using you know mainstream stuff to be quite creative to communicate to facilitate good care and there are barriers in, in terms of commissioners and awareness around the more specialist kit certainly and that's the sort of stuff you hear about in policy discourses that specialist the cobots the way that, you know, sort of pill reminder and dispenser systems can remove the need for 15 minute visits. And, but, you know, you're not seeing that. You're, you're seeing very user friendly mainstream kit being used. You're not really seeing that sort of care specific technology being rolled out in, in ways that I think the policy aspirations or certainly the policy discourse talks about it. And I think that's really interesting. I think the pandemic has, has certainly sort of pushed creativity and adaptability adaptability of, of providers but not towards specialist kit really has it i mean i don't and i'd like to now bring in tommy to talk really about his experiences and whether this relate, resonates with what he's been hearing from the membership of the national care forum and and digital social care project and also to maybe reflect on the challenges those organisations have had over the pandemic as well in delivering some of those services to that membership. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, I would completely resonate, Catherine, with what you've said. I think um, we, or I'm very guilty of building up sort of innovation and transformation as a very mythical concept that's only available to those that have had years and years of study where actually time and time again, innovation can just be a new idea that somebody has. You could be a care worker, a registered manager, a GP, a consultant, you know, a geriatrician, whoever you might be, you might just have an idea and that is innovative in itself. So we built, I've, I've been guilty of building it up as something that's very mythical actually. There's very practical, tangible things that, that care workers, particularly in a home care context, do and have ideas. And I think it's about trying to tap into that and actually get people empowered into those roles so that they're hearing it. So for example, the, I was talking to a colleague of mine who works for Scottish Care, who does a very similar job as myself in Scotland. And they're working with a number of home care agencies in Aberdeen about enrolling a concept of a care technologist. So a home care worker who by virtue of what they do is an expert by experience and really challenging the narrative that carers are unqualified, they're, they're not experienced and, and they might not have the robust set of qualifications that a doctor has, but in terms of frontline experience, it's unrivaled. So the experience and the innovative ideas that come out of somebody who's engaging with using technology, is that working? Is it not? My commissioners are asking me to do this and that and the other, which is what you're saying, Catherine, that's not working with what off the shelf products we've got 
what can we do to try and fix that? So I'm hearing these narratives occurring more and more and more. And I think what what's really important is to is to say to people who work in frontline care is you're doing an amazing job in a remarkably difficult context. Reform is not something that the government really has an appetite for. And yet it's about giving you ideas and empowering you to make those decisions to make social care a more attractive sector to work in, uh, a sector that really highlights the reward it gives and actually a sustainable sector going forward. So as an example, at the National Care Forum, we tapped into some funding from uh, NHS Digital and their now sadly defunct social care programme. And we ran the Hubble project, which was a fascinating programme because initially our idea was, or the premise of it was, seeing technology in action gives you a light bulb moment you know he hearing a theory of something working is and is good but if you actually physically go and see technology you touch it push the buttons talk to somebody who's already used it that user journey in terms of well, what did you buy what what were you thinking what do commissioners think what do your staff think how much does it cost you if you were to do it again would you do the same thing all those very real life peer-to-peer -peer conversations that the pandemic has stripped us of are actually really valuable for a home care agency, particularly in terms of thinking about what do you buy and who do you buy it for? And is this going to be the same in five years or are we going to have other problems and so on? So we planned three separate innovation hubs that were going to be physically on site in various locations across the country. And then, you know, none of us predicted COVID and here it, here it is still with us now and for a long time, probably. So we very quickly had to adapt and made these innovation hub sessions online. So we chose three of our members, two of which were residential care and one of them, which was a supported living home care agency to showcase their technology. And the, the raison d'etre, the, the rationale, as it were, was to say, don't tell us what it is that you've bought or more, but tell us how, tell us the process you went through, tell us the warts and all stories. Um, and some of those themes that you said, Catherine, very much resonated with the the, the providers who, who articulated their journeys. But the couple of examples that come to mind thinking about what you were talking about, Catherine, were firstly, a it was a residential setting, but I think it could acquire uh, it could apply verbatim to a uh, home care setting was the residential home had uh, care planning and EMAR in place. And as COVID hit, they were finding that they were having to write more COVID-related care plans and orientate their work more to recording about COVID and identifying COVID early in, and trying to be proactive with that because it was obviously a very acute scenario. And so the carers were then talking to the registered manager saying, you know, what would be really helpful would be if the care plan said this, that and the other. And if the care plan was designed like this, that and the other. And so what ended up happening was that that home then got in touch with their supplier and said what's your development queue looking like we would like your care our care plans to look like this 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 and this rather than this and the graphs that you're producing for us don't tell us what we need to but they need to show this this and this now as far as the carers were concerned that wasn't revelatory that was just them joining up their experience of frontline care to the piece of technology that was in front of them and yet what ended up happening was that they were mapping far more proactively potential COVID cases, isolating where required, talking to their NHS colleagues in a more proactive way, which meant COVID cases were less, quality of care was uh, improved, 
morale was better and actually what you're in is just empowering staff to engage with technology in a very demystified non-mythical way it's just a tangible connection and i and i thought that was a really helpful example uh, but the other example would be of uh, and a negative a very similar sense catherine is care care workers and the registered managers of home care agencies thinking i do not know what to buy because i work in several different areas which cover three or four local authorities and each local authority is asking for different technology or different technology outputs and how that is recorded and therefore we can't get a system to do what we want it to do across all three local authorities and therefore um, because we've got staffing shortages because some staff are off sick because of covid or alternatively their children are off sick because of school bubbles being broken those staff aren't even in anymore so i've got a real problem as to staffing shortages i don't have the capacity the bandwidth to put the right things in place so that's been another real challenge that we've seen but what what the ways that we can remedy that is that the, the hubble project as a concept is alive and well now it's online you can go on digital social care and look for hubble there and the resources from all of those three innovation hubs are alive for, for anyone to look at those resources are free to access. But it showed you how uh, a home care agency and a supported living organisation starts to think about navigating the questions that you highlighted, Catherine, in terms of infrastructure, costings, change management with staff, future proofing, all of these that are very real questions that if you're a, a home care agency, these are additional problems that you've got to think of in addition to the fact that the rates that you're getting from a local authority might not be what you want you're not getting the private funders that you want the commissioning burden on you is heavy so therefore these resources are a really helpful way to try and attempt to address the balance a little bit for particularly home care agencies so it's been a really interesting observation seeing how a forward-thinking supported living home care agency thinks about it and one of the best pieces of good practice i think they showed was that they established what they call a test and learn approach so they they effectively said if we're going to use any technology it needs to hit this 10 criteria if it hits this 10 criteria we'll consider using it if it doesn't it's not even part of our thinking and that is something that I think a lot of social care providers, particularly home care agencies, might struggle with because, as you allude to, Catherine and Kate, you talked about off-the-shelf products such as Alexa. These products are moving at a rapid rate. They are available in public domain for people to use. And I would question how much Alexa has had shaping and scoping by people who are experts, i.e. carers. They're, they're created by big multinational companies and they're they work to a certain extent with social care settings and that's fantastic and they empower people in a way that was never there before but at the same time i i have reservations as to data capture what that's happening with that the future proofing of that um what if one local authority wants to use it and others aren't happy with it then you're in a rock and a hard place so by establishing a test and learn approach where you start to say this fits us as an organization in terms of our values our ethos our cost framework what our staffing structures look like you start to get a bit of a better picture as to what you could use and what you couldn't 
and if there's anyone listening to this podcast who thinks, well, is this relevant for, for me and going forward? And this is all well and good, but what about the future? This is the future. You know, if you think fast forward 10 years, there are going to be more and more people who are at home, who are using their own technology, who when a care agency comes in, are going to expect that their care worker is going to be au fait and confident at just using that technology to empower and support them in their existing environment. Um, there's a think tank called Dot Everyone, and they wrote um, a really challenging piece a year and a half ago where they were effectively advocating for a Royal College of Carers, which is a fascinating concept. I completely agree with it, but they were illustrating the future where a carer is somebody who is not only adept at, at care and triaging risk and dealing with someone's care needs on a daily basis, but they're also an expert at dealing with one of these connecting it to other devices, taking that forward and making that connection between care and technology in a way that's holistic. And that is the future as far as I can see that the care and technology are going to become more and more one and the same. So it's about trying to empower the workforce, particularly the care aspect, the care aspect of the workforce to become more confident and literate in that. And I think that was what we were trying to achieve with the the Hubble project is demystifying things and helping people to see that contemporaries have gone through this process and to learn some of the bumps and journeys and ups and downs they've gone through so that they might not have to do the same going forward. But equally, I am fully aware that some of the, the issues that, that we face talking about this are, are bigger than the, the care provider themselves. And one of the roles that I have is to work with commissioners on a national level at the local government association to try and get local government to think about what they think about technology in a commissioning sense and how that can be aligned to the nuances of an individual home care agency in different geographical regions depending on who it is they're trying to care for but that is um glacial <laughs> it's not something that happens very quickly but yeah i mean i'm quite keen to hear what both of you think to to that conversation really and see what what your thoughts are compared to what I said and, and how that relates to what you said Catherine in terms of the the work that you've talked to with other agencies in Sheffield and more broadly nationally. Yeah thank you for that Tommy I think that's uh, you've raised some really interesting things there that does resonate with with what we we found in particular about care work input I think that is just so rare and it, it is like they're missing a trick that, you know, you have such knowledge and expertise there, but they're not grasping that knowledge and not using it to, to the best possible outcomes, really. And I think that is something that that is a, an avenue that, you know, people are wanting to look at introducing more technology. They need to look at the user experience at the front end, how the care workers are using it, how they use it to interact with their clients, care recipients, whatever you want to call them. But I think the other thing as well, it, it's it's about, as you said, there's, there are so many things that are out on the market that have been developed by multinational companies, the Alexa and various other similar products. You know, they are moving so fast. There's no reason that we can't start to use these much more at very little cost, you know, to help provide a better care experience. But certainly in the commissioned care, that really does seem to be ignored. That's it's almost like, well, 
that's not what we're commissioning. That's a personal choice for that client as to whether they want to use something like that. So yeah, but I think that there's a number of issues there. But uh, I, I certainly see that there is potential to to really develop a lot of these ideas, particularly those that are more user friendly. You know, things like apps. People, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago, hardly anyone had a smartphone with apps on and things. And now nearly everybody's got a smartphone with an app on. They're very easy to download, generally very easy to use, quite user-friendly, they're intuitive. And I think there's a lot of scope there for, for using many more things like that, that you can very, very easily individually tailor to a, a particular individual's needs, particular care recipient's needs. I think it's really interesting as well for me. I've I mean, I've challenged NHSX, who are, who were created two and a bit years ago, just before the pandemic. And to their credit, as an organisation, they have focused so much more on social care than any other arm's length body of the government has ever done before. But one of my challenges to them is, and I use the phrase I use is, "You reap what you sow." So, as part of my role, I think it's quite, I think it's important to say that I talk a lot to carers, so I understand the role that they're going through. And actually how challenging is it it is and the pay that they get and the lack of recognition they get for their roles given the amount of hours and work they do but actually i challenged nhsx and said well what teaching and training structures are there for care workers you know it's all well and good us saying technology is is increasingly aligned and intrinsic to good quality care and i think that's where cqc are going by the way and you've got to look at nhs's NHSX's data strategy, which is going to ask so much more of care providers in terms of producing data. So the digital train is, if it's not already at the train station, it's coming down the line pretty quick. But if you don't teach the workforce what this means, if you don't empower people in some sort of formal curriculum, then what, what are we expecting? What's going to happen is that you're going to get pockets of good practice, perhaps by fortune, perhaps by aptitude, perhaps by proactive personality development of, of a leader in an organization but otherwise it's potentially the blind leading the blind in a wild west procurement process so one of the things that is coming along in the next couple of months is a proposal for a, a framework of training for the social care workforce along the lines of digital literacy uh, which is in its very early stages but i think it's it would be remiss not to mention that in the context of this in terms of technology and how that relates to the social care workforce so that's something that i'm working a lot with skills for care uh, as well as nhsx to ensure that digital social care and the voice of the care workforce is heard loud and clear as to what are the requirements that, that the workforce need in terms of navigating technology in a care setting going forward in the next two four ten 15 years and so on. I think there's also something really interesting around the way we think about technology as being bits of kit rather than inherently social things. Like they, they rely on people to make them work and people will use them or misuse them or adapt them. And, you know, they're not supposed to use WhatsApp to communicate about care plans. You know, the, there was one of the case studies that were really trying to get that in a formal system a formal app so that they wouldn't lose that institutional memory so that care managers could see what was going on but they, those systems weren't intuitive they weren't user friendly so people just kept using whatsapp and i think if we see technology as being things rather than social things 
then they're not malleable and adaptive and they need to be. I think when they're designed, they need to have that flexibility for a care company rather than having to go back to the developer and say, I'd like to adapt the way the air plans are recorded because of COVID. Well, why couldn't they just tweak that? Because it's all, you know, it, it, the idea that they, you know, they're not expertise enough to do that. We know best. But ultimately, what will happen is if you don't design systems with carers or with the user in mind or with involved, people will misuse it or not use it. And then they will have their input in a way, but it's not the way you want them to. They'll end up either using your systems incorrectly or they will just not use them at all. And I think we can't bend, expect people to bend to fit technology. Technology needs to be, needs to bend to fit them and their needs and, and the service needs. And I just, I, 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 my concern is the way that technology and innovation are coupled and the way technology is seen as whizzy bits of kit rather than social means that, that it loses that ability to be malleable and adaptive to people's preferences and needs. And, and it becomes this sort of, as you say, artifacts that are very separate and, and precious rather than actually, you know, don't like that bit, we'll, be, we'll drop that bit from the system because it doesn't work for our care model. And for the next local authority on, we need to add this bit back in. And it, it just doesn't, they don't have that functionality. And that's part of the challenge around and getting it to be usable and useful. That's just my, my thoughts on, on that piece. I wondered if we, we could like reflect now on where we think we're going to go forward. From this what are we taking what are care providers and care workers going to take forward from the pandemic in terms of technology because we've, we've heard that there was a you know there's been a lot of pivoting happening but where do we go from here you know it's not over yet obviously but we're hoping that we might be moving towards getting back to normality so where, where do we go really i would say that the, the pandemic has enforced technology on people perhaps quicker than they were wanting to perhaps think about it but as a result it's demythed some of the the concerns around it so if you want to accelerate digital transformation throw in a pandemic that will that will always help but at the same time the risk that comes with that revelation if you want is that things can move very, very quickly. And if you are in a sector that hasn't had support or recognition for 20 or 30 years, the danger is that you get left behind or things get done for you rather than with you. So in some senses, I don't know what will change because until there's a more robust reform agenda for social care, lots of the problems that we've highlighted will remain the same. So in that sense, I'm not sure what will change but equally I think what we will see is that we know that uh, secure information sharing is more of a thing we know that we know that the Department for Health and Social Care have had a taste of social care data now which they have never had before so we know that the data strategy from NHSX is going to require home care agencies to be producing data that they have never had to produce before we know that the CQC are thinking more proactively about electronic care planning and electronic evidence of, of lots of different key lines of inquiry. So we know that technology is, is becoming more and more on the lips of the regulator and central government. So therefore, it's something that's coming, 
So the, the question for me is making sure that we have the structures and the support mechanisms in place to ensure that people are as empowered and confident to make the right decisions for their own organizations and the people they're caring for as best as possible. But um, that is a challenge in itself, but at least it's something that we're driving and striving to achieve. I think you're absolutely right, Tommy. I think it's, uh, you know, the, the way that it's accelerated technology use, um, it, yeah, throwing a pandemic, we, we will get change much more rapidly. And we definitely got a sense of that when we went back to the care providers that we talked to. And I also think as well, as you mentioned, it's if those structures that are defining what that care looks like, if they're changing, then that is going to enforce change on those care providers. And I think, you know, it, it does need to be more of a, a, a two way conversation with those care providers and particularly care workers at the front end as to what's useful, what's helpful and, and how we can actually move this forward together rather than it being something that's imposed. And as Kate said before, you know, you can't get away from the social aspect of care and, and those relationships. And if you if you just sort of impose things that are inflexible and, and aren't going to change, uh, you know, they, they will very quickly become defunct anyway. So I think it's about being uh, intelligent about what we actually want people to do and what we what we're actually trying to achieve within within care settings and um, you know so it's no good for instance recording data for the sake of data if it's not going to be useful for someone um, for another group so i think it, it's about what we want it to look like but also what's the outputs from that what's the outcomes from that how is it how's it going to be used how's it going to make things better i think that's that's the big issue yeah, I think that's a really important point, you know, to paraphrase Jurassic Park, but just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know, what, what is the outcomes we're hoping to achieve by deploying technology in, in social care, rather than what are the technologies we could deploy in, in social care and then thinking afterwards, oh, actually, that hasn't achieved what we wanted it to achieve. Thank you both so much for your contributions. That was really interesting. Thank you so much, Kate, Tommy and Catherine, for your contributions and for sharing your insights on the issues of workers' role in generating innovation from the ground up, the importance of skills development and job design for worker empowerment and digital literacy, and the need to view technology not as a device, but as a social process. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and have found the discussion on the use of technology in home care interesting and useful.